G'day, Nate here again. As I speak to you now, it's just before 9pm in Perth on Thursday the 5th of August. And to quote the great HG Nelson, and Roy and HG feel like the only thing missing from this year's Olympics, it's been yet another week where too much sport is barely enough. Australia is currently in our most successful Olympic campaign ever as far as medal halls are concerned. Although the Kookaburras had to settle for silver tonight, we did win two goals in the space of just 20 minutes today, thanks to Jean van der Westhuizen and Thomas Green, respectively. Emma McKeon recently won her 11th Olympic medal to become the most successful Australian Olympian ever. And Peter Ball stole our hearts in the 800 metres, proving being one step off the dais in fourth place is still very much a cause for celebration. Also on the Olympic front, Simone Biles has come and gone and then come back again after getting the non-tasty version of the twisties, something we touched on a bit in the episode from when we recorded last week. It's a much more complicated situation than some media commentators would lead you to believe. On top of everything else, some of which we talk about, as I say, it was revealed recently that Simone's aunt actually died while she was in Tokyo. For those interested, I noticed that Binge now has the Simone Biles story, Courage to Soar, something worth watching. And sadly, in addition to this, not all stories at the Olympics are good. Belarusian track and field athlete Kristina Timonovskaya was nearly deported from Tokyo after basically seeking asylum, claiming her country was doing dodgy things. Very much Cliff Notes version there, of course. In the basketball world, while the Opals unfortunately crashed out in the quarterfinals after a very poor showing in the pool matches, we dared to dream when the Boomers went up by 15 on Team USA today in the semifinal, but we'll have to play off for bronze once again after the Yanks pulled away in the second half. I've just finished watching the end of the France and Slovenia game, and wow, what an end it was. The Boomers will be hoping to finally get that elusive medal against the Slovenian team at their first ever Olympics, headed by Luka Doncic, who lost by a point in agonizing circumstances after some very good defense from Nicolas Batum. Speaking of NBA players, free agency has absolutely begun in earnest, with $1.26 billion US, 1.7 Australian, being committed in just the first hour alone. Paddy Mills and Jock Landau both have new homes, something we'll definitely touch on more in the coming weeks. And of course, Oklahoma City have a bunch of new fans here in Australia after Josh Giddy went pick six to them in the NBA draft. Something I'll say, well, few would have predicted. Definitely looking forward to talking about that more with Shuey soon. In the AFL world, there's been the good, the bad and the ugly as more COVID chaos meant that it was a rare weekend without a Saturday night match, leaving a super Sunday that had two games go down to the wire in different ways. At the G, the Swans and Bombers fought a close contest where not only did the teams incredibly combine for 22 goals three in the second half, two of those three behinds were rushed in a seven-point Swans win in which Shield and McDonald Tip and Woody had to watch from the sidelines during the last four minutes because the team had run out of interchanges. On the other side of the country here, Rio were victorious in a similarly nail-biting end, but a much more inaccurate match, beating Richmond seven goals 13-55 to six goals 15-51 to reclaim a spot in the eight. And I dare say in the ugly stakes, Tex Walker is MIA amidst an alleged racism controversy after playing in the SANFL on the weekend. Jack Viney was very lucky to only escape with a two-week suspension for his antics, and it's perhaps not the best idea for Jack Watts to become an Uber driver. More scheduled dramas abound with Tassie fans keen for the rare opportunity to see Collingwood live in action, disappointed now with their match against Hawthorne being moved back to Melbourne due to COVID. And our hearts go out to everyone around our great land currently in lockdown. Speaking of Hawthorne, unsurprisingly, the succession plan between Clarko and Mitchell is now in tatters. And will the AFL grand final be held here in Perth? Rumours are that Joondalup Resort is booked out till the end of September by the AFL, and it's most likely now between Adelaide and Perth. Anyways. On to this week's episode. 
So our regular listeners will know that we decided to take two weeks off our normal schedule during the Olympics, and we've recorded a couple of special episodes that aren't time-sensitive, finishing here with blokes banter that you're about to hear now. As far as our previous stories are concerned, I definitely encourage you to check out the descriptions for episodes 56 and 60, or our Twitter, at SportBlokes, for links to the videos about some of the matches we were lucky enough to see live. I went back and rewatched the Magic Johnson's All-Stars game that Shui saw in 95. Some of the testiest exhibition matches you'll ever see, as the Boomers used a five-game series against Magic Johnson's All-Stars to prepare for the Atlanta Olympics in 96. Great to see 13-year NBA veteran Mark Aguirre, who put on an absolute show, as well as the Magic Man himself, of course, prior to his brief return to the NBA following year in 1996. And me? Well, I knew we were very lucky to see the Lakers-Blazers game that I talked about in last week's episode, but after re-watching it last night, I forgot how lucky we really were. The game was close the entire way through, and then in what must be a top 10 career performance for Bryant, he incredibly scored 33 of his 65 points in the fourth quarter in overtime. Both games are very much worth watching if you have the time to do so. We'll also reference a few other matches in this week's episode. I'll do my best to dig up some footage and similarly post them in the description here and on our Twitter too. Okay, well, that's truly enough of me. Sorry for the Roy NHG reference, Chewy. I know you like them about as much as I like Daryl Braithwaite's horses. That'll make sense soon. Let's go. It's another Sport Bloke special. This week, we discuss some of our favourite sports-related movies and songs. We take on the dreaded asterisk. We look at where we were for historical sporting events. And Nathan once again voices his hatred for horses by Daryl Braithwaite. <laughs> yeah, I do. Let's go. You bastard. Well, Shuey, it's 9.30 on Wednesday, the 28th of July. It is another Blokes Banter episode. So at time of recording, there's a bit of interesting stuff going on. USA lost to France in the men's basketball at the Olympics. Charlie Rowbottom, the sister of James, who plays for Sydney, was drafted number one to the Gold Coast Suns in the AFLW draft. Georgia Prisbaki, whose sister of Matt at Carlton, was number two to Geelong. Australia upset Croatia in the water polo. They were the 21 seed, beating the third seed, which was huge. And that was after the game against Montenegro on Saturday, where they were looking very good. But anyway, we will talk about the Olympics more in a future episode. This week, it's Blokes Banter 3. How are you doing? Doing bloody well, mate. Yourself? Doing yeah, well? all right. All right. Yeah. Well, the rain we'll see how we go. The rain has stopped today, which is a, a big deal in Perth right Yeah, now. well, it is. It is. And look, we've spitballed some ideas. I'll admit I haven't put as much time into the research as I would have liked. Some of those ideas we've spitballed pretty late in the piece, only in the last day or so. So well, I'd like to say I've put in greater than or equal to the right amount of time. So. Okay. Well, that's good. So we shall that's, see how it yes, goes. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Now, where do we start? I think maybe we start with the fact that the NBA playing tournament is here to stay. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) No, look, it's, it's such a tricky one because the Western Conference side of it this year was very enjoyable. I thoroughly enjoyed watching the Lakers and Golden State and then what Memphis did. But the Eastern Conference was such a pile of crap. So the format will be the same as this season. Teams that finish 7th and 8th, ninth and 10th will play off to determine the 7th and 8th seeds in the playoffs, thereby disadvantaging the 1 and 2 seed, giving them less time to prepare for their opponent and meaning that two-thirds of the league will still be competing 
after the regular season is done. And everyone the, gets a fucking trophy. And the NBA will turn around and go, oh, look, Milwaukee won, so clearly it doesn't disadvantage yeah. them that much. And they've got to recoup money. But I just hope there's lots of shitty games so that this pisses off. Hmm. But the interesting thing, so the playing tournament will be April 12th to 15. The playoffs will begin April 16, and the NBA Finals will begin June 2nd. So it's back to their kind of normal spot. So we're back to a normal calendar next season. Touch wood. Yes, that's the plan at this stage. Good point. That's me touching the wood. Yes, good point. So it kind of brings me back to the asterisk talk. We've talked about it a bit. Do these two seasons need to be asterisk seasons? Absolutely, they do. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> and look, I'll let you kind of preface what I'm going to say with what your usual definition is. And I think your definition is absolutely spot on in terms of it not necessarily being a negative. Yes. So for some reason, anything with an asterisk has this negative connotation. And I don't know where that first came from. I don't know if that was in 1999 when Phil Jackson said, whoever wins this championship will have an asterisk attached to it. I don't know if it precedes that. That's the first time I'm aware of it kind of being mentioned. It seems to be mentioned more and more and more in modern sport. But technically, an asterisk in language is a symbol used in text as a pointer to an annotation or a footnote. Basically, it's a pointer to context. Now, context doesn't necessarily mean bad. It doesn't necessarily mean good. It means different. And to me, they absolutely need asterisks, as does the NBL last season, as does the AFL last season. Basically, when you're playing in hubs, when you're changing the length of quarters, when you're dicking around with salary caps, when you have playing games, all these things are asterisks. Now, someone getting an injury? No, that's not an asterisk. That's a part of the story. It's context. But that's not an asterisk because injuries are normal. They're a normal part of the game. Now, do we put an asterisk every time a rules change? No, we don't. But if there's some radical change or something radically different, there is nothing wrong with saying the last two NBA championships, for example, or the last AFL and this season's AFL because a lot's going on there too. Or the entire Olympic Games that are going on right now. As you kind of mentioned last week, that this will be the asterisk Olympics. And absolutely. The asteriskiest Olympics of all time. Yeah, well, yeah, on several levels, yeah. Well, actually, no, maybe not. I guess the ones around World War well, one yeah. and two. Actually, yeah. To, <laughs> there to, are different types to, of risks. To be fair, yeah. But yeah. I guess in terms of the fact that there are no crowds, there are so many issues with people having to quarantine, there are cardboard beds, Yes. <laughs> no, there's a, there's a lot of things that make this very, very different to the norm and certainly the most asterisky since the mid-1940s anyway. Mm. And I just think it's a real shame that people look at asterisks as a negative. To me, it's just context. And, it, okay, look, if we need to refer to them as footnotes instead of asterisks, then fine, I guess we do that. But, you know, I just remember last season, Jackie McMullen, and, and look, she's excellent, she's very well respected, and I'll refer to her later. But... To say last year wasn't an asterisk NBA championship, when they're playing in the bubble, when there was a massive break, all of these different things that are so abnormal, there's no home court advantage. I think in the end, there were more away wins than home wins because it didn't matter because it's basically a neutral court. Yeah. (laughs) So it just really, I don't know, maybe I get too worked up about this and we've just got to live with it. But it just bothers me that people will say, some of these championships are less. And I don't think they're less. They're just different. And we need to consider that context. I might need to put a little asterisk in right now, actually. Oh. I've just been thinking, the ones in the 1970s where the Soviet Union boycotts happened, 
they're probably slightly bigger asterisks as well. Than yeah, well, and 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 this was what we discussed last year, and we had less listeners then, so I don't know how many people would have listened. This was quite in the early days. But, yeah, you, we talked about the size of asterisks as well, I think. Mm. Yeah. This is certainly one of the bigger ones anyway. But Oh, it's huge. But it is. It's so funny, as you say, that all of these things have such a, a negative view on them. And unfortunately, I think if you do go back to that Phil Jackson one, that's probably why they have such a negative connotation. That might have opened the floodgates. I don't know. Yeah. And that one, you know, we've spoken about this one before. The complaining that the Lakers did about this saying it's not a legitimate championship. Why is it not? Every team had the same amount of games. Yep. Every team had the same amount of preparation time. The finals were the same length. Exactly. And this was true of all the other lockout seasons. Yes, the goalposts changed slightly in terms of the length of the regular season, dropping from 82 down to 50. And the same can be said of the 2012 season, I think it was. Where, well, there's been a couple, yeah. Yeah, where it dropped down to 66 games. Yeah. Something that you've said, said to me before, there ain't no asterisk next to that one, is there? No, well, there doesn't seem to be for some reason because it wasn't the Spurs. <laughs> it was LeBron. Potentially. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But but it is. It is just one of these things where it does. It has such a negative connotation when in actual fact, you could argue that winning these ones almost means more. Well, and that's what that was Jackie McMullen's reason for saying it wasn't an asterisk season because it required some sort of more effort. I think it just requires different effort and different resilience. But I think if it requires more effort to win, it's almost like the negative asterisk. Like it's, it's- well, is it more? I mean, there's less travel, so there's kind of the scales yeah. kind of balance. Okay, you know, you're not going on the road as much. It's more being away from home. You're away from family, but they were allowed families in the bubble, for example. But you, li- and, you yeah. know, but you're living out of a hotel room sure. for X amount of time. Sure. They don't have access to the same training facilities that they used to. I dare say some guys were more focused because they didn't have the distractions of the road and that True. sort of thing. I mean, yeah. yeah, there wasn't any going out to clubs and yeah. things like that. I mean, James Harden should have probably won a championship based on that. <laughs> but yeah, it just it is. It's so fascinating that the asterisk is seen as just a negative, and that's it. Mm. There's no no such thing as a positive asterisk. Mm. Which, and, and it's just, to me, it's a neutral thing. And we spoke a couple of weeks ago about how we felt that because of how crazy the Olympics were looking like they were going to be, that it was potentially going to be a negative. And, and I, I would actually have to argue against myself and say that the first few days has been so much of a roaring success, it's not funny. Yes, there have been some things that you've already mentioned We've oh, had- there's always going to be upsets and surprises and scandal and disappointments. And there's always going to be in that in the Olympics, no matter what the background is, yeah. the context. And, is. and we've had, you know, Simone Biles pulled out of, yes. of the gymnastics yep. today due to a mental health issue. We've had a lot of backlash on social media as well. Piers Morgan being a dickhead again. Well, I guess, all right, we've got to talk about this while we're here. Simone Biles is one of the greatest gymnasts and you could argue athletes of all time. She's done amazing things. She's performed exceptionally well. She pulled out of the team event because she didn't feel like she could manage it. And that's fair enough. Well, she said she lost herself when she was in midair. And if you're a gymnast... Yeah, that's a pretty scary thing. ...relatively important part of anything that you're doing. So, yeah, I understand. And my counterpoint to anyone that's having a sad at her is what would you prefer? The fact that she competed at all and won the gold medals that she's won in the past, or would you rather win absolutely nothing because she never competed? Or would you like, rather her lose herself in the air and land on her head? Well, yeah, that too. And never walk again. I mean, there's so many things that could happen. I've got a quote here from Kavitha A. Davidson from The Athletic. We can't put it better than her. She sums it up perfectly. Simone Biles won nationals with broken toes in both feet, worlds with a kidney stone, 
and has carried the burden of being a face of sexual assault survivors as a national institution failed to support them, half of you are yelling about toughness, can't handle wearing a mask in Wegmans. Now, I don't know what if Wegmans only is. only we knew what a Wegman yeah, was. I, I'm sure it's a supermarket I'm, or I'm something. sure it's irrelevant to us understanding that that is just such a well-thought-out tweet. And But one of the team doctors in the US gymnastics space was sexually abusing the competitors. She is the only one that is still competing. To have to carry that and for people to have a sad at her and to talk as if mental health isn't an issue. It's fucking disgusting, to be honest. Mm. It's really disappointing. These are the people that unfortunately, and look, as much as we love sport, people are bigger than sport. Their health and their well-being is far bigger than sport. And you've touched on something really interesting here. Sometimes we forget they're people. Mm. We forget they're human beings. We forget they have feelings and they have life experiences and they have trials and tribulations. Like she grew up in foster homes. She's not had an easy life. Mm. She's managed to do all these wonderful things in spite of her hardships. And just for fucking weekend warriors to be sitting on couches or giving hot takes on sport radio programs, bemoaning her weakness, perceived weakness, inverted commas, it's just, it's really sad and it's really disappointing. And I bet you any money that three quarters of these motherfuckers are 350 pounds. Of course. Yeah. have barely done anything yeah, athletic in the last 10 years of their life. Yeah, they, they, yeah it's these people just need to take yeah. a good hard look at the front end of a bus. Yeah, their idea of rings is, I don't know, pulling Bur- it off a can burger of... Yeah, yeah, pulling onion, it off a can rings. of oh, <laughs> baked beans or something. Yeah. Oh, he's <laughs> the horizontal bars are just two bars next to each other. They're the drinking one, lots the of beers. That, the ones yeah. that support them while they're in the shower. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So these people are asked to risk on life. They are. Mm, good point. So, Nate, one of the things that we quite often talk about are some of the random stories that we've encountered or been a part of over the, the many years that we've been watching sport or, or been a part of sport. And The fact we've been slaves to sport. <laughs> have, have been, will be, always will be. There are a couple in particular that you have spoken to me about, and I'll kind of let you run through them, but times when sport has yeah you mentioned the word slave it's very much kind of overtaken something that probably should have been a little bit more important to you yeah your uh, university studies yeah i have a couple of stories from the uni days so when you're a uni student you have lots of free time you can stay up late you can do all sorts of things and so i have some really fond memories of the 05 ashes now australia actually lost them but to me they're the greatest ashes of all time they were quite remarkable and that whole tour was interesting. So there's a couple of interesting things. So I remember during that tour, there were the one dayers. And I can't remember. I, I want to say they were before the Ashes. I think they were before the tests. I can't remember 100%. Yeah, I've gone to the third umpire on this one, Nath. We definitely did play all of the T20s and the ODIs before that. Okay. So I remember listening to, oh, God, I, I'm, I've got to be careful what I admit here. But for business associations law, not my favourite subject. Didn't attend all the classes. (laughs) Uh, Basically, when I was cramming for exams, during the game that Australia lost to Bangladesh, and I remember Jason Gillespie bowling quite poorly from memory, and obviously he had that huge knock against them in the test, so he's had some mixed results with Bangladesh. Do you know what's ridiculous? He actually had two for 41 off his nine overs. Okay. it, Maybe it was his death bowling or something. Well, again, it's funny seen, what the memory it seemed, does. Probably seemed worse. And, yeah. and Muhammad Ashraful actually had a 101 ball 100 in that game as well. So he was a fine young player. Very good player. But anyway, basically, I listened to every single lecture for that unit back to back while I watched that game. 
So you can imagine how much of that knowledge I actually retained, <laughs> especially because it was a game we lost. So I was very heavily invested in that. So, yeah, that was kind of a waste and, of and time. And that one came down to the last over as yes. well. So. Yes, indeed. Yep. And look, maybe Gillespie bowled at the death in that over. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. Mm. I just, for some reason, I have a memory of him being a bit disappointing. But the other big one from that same series. Now, I can't remember which, which match it was. I want to say the third test. So obviously that was the tour where Glenn McGrath stepped on a ball in warm-ups. Just before the second test. It was sec- I thought it was before the first. It was just the second, before the second it? test. Right. We'll so talk- he played in the first. And we'll actually talk about this in a minute. Oh, as well. Okay, there you go. And again, okay, it's what, 15 odd years ago. So the memory has faltered a little bit. But there was this match, fourth test it was. All right, we've gone to the third umpire on this one. And so, okay, this is really bad. So I had a 5,000 word essay due the next day. And it was a game where it looked like we had no chance. We followed on. And then all of a sudden, in that final day, Warney and Brett Lee were just bowling grenades. And it looked like we were just going to somehow snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. And so I kind of felt like I had to watch the cricket. So I didn't actually start writing my assignment until after it finished, about three in the morning or something. Mm, That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. And it was 5,000 words. Now, look, I'm not going to be a big man and pretend that I hadn't done any research or anything like that. I'd done some research. I had some notes. I had some stuff to smack together. But it was due at midday the next day, and I didn't start writing it till after the cricket because it was just too exciting. So, yeah. So you started a 5,000-word essay nine hours before it was due? Started writing it, yes. Yeah. And how did you go? Uh, a high credit. That's better than A couple nothing. of points off a distinction. I think, I, think, I, think I, I think it was 68. Yeah. Far out. Imagine yeah. how you'd have gone if the cricket wasn't on. Yeah, I know, right? Well, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, I can be a slave to uh, to sport. And I was as a student. Now, the other one I remember revolved around an exam that you were doing. Oh, yes. Yeah. So this is, oh God, I couldn't tell you what year this was, but this was when we were, the West Indies were here and it was the first test at the Gabba because exam time's in kind of November. I don't know. I, I can't remember what exam it was. It was probably something like really painful, like constitutional or something. But anyway, you know how in exams you can't just go out to the pisser on your own, which is fair enough because you could go and cheat. You've got to like raise your hand and someone needs to escort you out. And so I put up my hand because I need to have a piss. And we walk out. And as we're walking to the dunnies, I'm like, oh, man, I I really wish I knew what the cricket score was. (laughs) And the guy starts laughing at me. And I'm like, why are you laughing? He's like, are you doing a law exam at the moment? I'm like, yeah. He's like. And you're worried about the cricket? <laughs> I was like, yeah, of course. Stay one, it's important. It, you know. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, so sometimes one's priorities can be a bit wrong when one's, I'd say when one's in their early 20s, but not much has changed, let's face it. Well, thankfully there's no exams getting in the way now. I was a good boy today. As much as I wanted to watch Australia versus Italy at the Olympics, I didn't watch it. I just had the FIBA score updates on my browser. I was a good boy. I let my kids watch the DVD of Zootopia. Wow. Instead of watching most of the fourth quarter because the 7 Plus app is a pile of shit. Oh, Stewie, fatherhood. I turned it back on with about 30 seconds left. I was like, no, no, girls, you need to move aside. <laughs> Daddy needs the TV. <laughs> I haven't noticed Barnyani wasn't playing. Mate, I think he retired about four years ago. Oh, well, I just know in Olympics a lot of the old blokes stick around. Oh, Lewis Scholar's still playing. He's like 41 or something, isn't he? Like- He's a... 
pretty handsome. He's a silver fox. He's still playing well too. He, he is still playing well. But oh, he played well against us in that scrimmage. One thing about Argentina, they really didn't have a decent succession plan. And no, they, they no. let him and Ginobili and yeah. Carlos Delfino play till they were like yeah, Roberto. And now look, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Nathan, I'm going to springboard a little bit off your Ashes story. We were going to discuss, I suppose, a couple of things about where were you when. Ah, yes, yes, yes. And the first one that came to mind when you brought that up, funnily enough, was the 05 Ashes. And I was in Europe while that was all going on. And the one I remember greater than any of them was the second test, which is why I could very quickly tell ah, you that okay. that was when Glenn McGrath stepped on a ball right, beforehand and right. had to be replaced, torn all his ligaments. I agree with you entirely. I think the 05 Ashes were probably, the, they're certainly the best Ashes series that I've seen in my lifetime. Yes, yeah, definitely um, for me, yeah. Which says a lot because we lost the series 2-1. Yep. But yeah, definitely the second was the one that just absolutely came to mind because we absolutely destroyed England in the first test, won by 239 runs. And it helps when you have Pidge McGrath, isn't it? Absolutely it does. And look, we kept England below 200 in both innings. Another great thing when you've got McGrath in your team. But the other thing was that the English actually started playing mind games very, very close to the start of play. And they'd sort of made mention to the fact that 12 of the last 13 tests leading back to 1991, the team that had won the toss had bowled first and gone on and won the match. And that kind of got into Australia's head. We won the toss. and nah, the toss. And look what happens. We send them in. They make 407 in the first innings. And it was absolutely crazy, though, because... You go down to the last day and, you know, the Aussies were struggling. They still needed 107 runs to win, two wickets in hand. Holding on for a draw at that stage. Absolutely holding on for a draw. Yeah. But then the runs keep flowing. Shane Warne and Brett Lee put on, I think, 45 for the ninth wicket. Shane Warne actually stepped on his stumps to to get out. Yeah, I remember that. Which was not a great way to get out because he was batting beautifully. They both had a very good series with the ball and handy with the bat. Mm. Yeah. Well, from from memory, I think it's a bit of a trend, isn't it? Our top order lets down a little bit at times. Yep. Yeah. The bowlers having to pick up the pieces. Mm. And then Michael Kasparowicz comes in at number 11 to go with Brett Lee and they managed to whittle it all the way down to three. There were a few streaky boundaries in there, as you, you're going to get. But the, the Oh, you're going to get edgy boundaries? Yeah, yeah, it happens. But they were very clever. They worked the singles. You know, the English were starting to get a little bit desperate and bowling a lot of bounces and things like that. And, yeah, with just three runs to win, Kasparowicz goes and gloves one down leg side and bloody DRS would have overturned I it. know. I was going to say they called it as if he gloved it, but he didn't actually. Oh, no, that's right. He did glove it, but his glove was off the off bat. Off the bat, yeah. which is, yeah, which means that it's not technically a wicket. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So in all of this, where was I? I was in a little town called Lauterbrunnen in the middle of Switzerland. If anyone hasn't heard of it, I would recommend Googling it. L-A-U-T-E-R-B-R-U-N-N-E-N. It is Heaven on earth. You've the, been raving about it ever since. The so. most picture perfect place I've ever been to. And I've been to a lot of places in my time. So he has. The other thing about that, Ashley Stewart, I was convinced that Simon Jones was going to be the next big thing because he had us in all sorts of trouble that entire series, just hooping the ball all over the place. For the where were you when, there's a couple that stick to mind. So I've got a similar travel story, Stewie, in 2007 was the year we did our big trip with the World Cup and everything. And I happened to be in Ireland during Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals, a Cleveland 109-107 to 107 win over Detroit. Now, it is what it is. It's not unusual for a close game in an Eastern Conference Finals or a Conference Finals. But what made it so remarkable and what kind of sticks in my mind so much is that with the time difference, I think it was very early, like 2 or 3 in the morning or it was some weird time. And I was watching it on my tiny little laptop using my friend's Wi-Fi in his house while he was fast asleep. 
But this was the game where it went to double overtime and LeBron was on 19 points with the score at 79-78 with 6.05 remaining. When all was said and done, he had scored 29 of Cleveland's final 30 points, including 25 points on 11 of 13 shooting in a row. He forced overtime on a driving dunk, and then he finished the game off in double OT with a layup with two seconds left. And he got absolutely monstered on that. It should have been an M1, but... It was one of the most amazing performances I've ever seen in my life, and I'll never forget it. Lying on a little mattress on the floor late at night in Ireland. Yeah, just crazy stuff. That game was absolutely ridiculous, and I dare say it was probably the game that elevated him to the best player in the league. He probably already was, but just some of the the shots he was hitting. I remember one in particular is at the top of the keyway and he made a little sort of stutter step move to go left and put it behind his back and then hit this crazy fadeaway from just inside the three-point line. And you're just thinking not many guys can make that move. Oh, no. And with a head of steam, the way he would just take it to the rack and he was just unstoppable. Yeah. It was quite remarkable. Yeah, it was spectacular. Quite remarkable. The other thing that sticks out from that Irish trip, the, and I think I've mentioned this before, but the very first thing I saw on television in Ireland was the AFL. Yeah, right. My friend turns the telly on, and that's literally the first thing that came on. And obviously, Ty Kennelly and Jimmy Steins. Yeah, Jimmy Steins before him, and a couple of, or many blokes since, like Zach Tui and all sorts of great guys. But yeah, what a weird thing, like in Ireland of all places to. Mind you, I remember being in Scotland one time and sitting with family in Dunfermline and turning on the TV and there was Cameron Ling's big face. Well, that's even right, more surprising because right there's the no screen. Scotsman in the AFL. So that's even more crazy. It's the Scott brothers <laughs> and Scott, <laughs> Scott Selwood. That's not what I meant. Uh, Scott Waters. I'm going to stop. while you're behind. I'm going to stop. Yeah, now, yep. yeah. now you've got another one we both remember as well. I mean, this is one that anyone who's watched cricket right back to the 90s should remember this one. And it's the Michael Bevan last ball four against yep. the West Indies. Yep. New Year's Day 1996. What yep. a, a remarkable performance. I'm actually almost glad I was only 12 at the time because I dare say if it had been now, we'd probably be hung over and <laughs> wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. Yes. Well, I was at my grandma's house for like a barbecue with the family and I remember I was watching on the telly and as the game got more and more close and more and more exciting, the group around the television got bigger and bigger to the point where by the end of the match, probably nearly everyone was watching, even though I was the only real big cricket fan there, but it was such an exciting finish. And we're chasing a low score. We've had a look at the scorecard. Yeah, the Windies only made 172, and that was thanks largely to 93 off 96 from Carl Hooper. Ah, yeah, very useful all-rounder. But no one else really made anything. I mean, the only other person who made a score above 20 was Roger Harper, who made 28. Ah, yes, and didn't end well for him. Yeah, unfortunately, they decided to give him the ball to bowl the last over. I'm not entirely sure why. I mean, you had Kurtley Ambrose and Courtney Walsh both bowled out. And then I guess really, yeah, because of the Duckworth-Lewis thing, I think it was match reduced to four yeah, overs. They, yeah. they didn't really have much of a choice, I guess. Pidge was on strike to start the over. Maybe he'd struggled against Harper or something or well, off spin. Yeah, I mean, I guess McGrath struggled against pretty much he everyone. He was an absolute bunny back then. He improved a little bit as time went on. But in the early to mid-90s, he was terrible mm. with the bat. But yeah, with only a couple of balls left, Pidge hit the single to get Bev on strike. So Bevan had two balls to get four. And the first ball, he's basically just tried to blast it down the ground, gone straight back to the bowler. And four set, off one. Sets up four off one. And yep. yep, sure enough, smashes it straight back over his head. And much to the delight of the great Bill Laurie. 
Oh, it's brilliant commentary. Were you with us that time at the Wacker when, after the match, we saw Tony, Bill and Richie? I was not there that oh, day. okay. No. So we saw Tony, Bill and Richie and the crowd just went absolutely nuts. They cheered for them more than at any point in the game. Yeah. I think I've mentioned that before. I apologise for repeating myself, but it sticks in my mind. So, sure, you couldn't have scripted that ending any better in that Australia-West Indies match, which brings us to our next little topic of discussion. Sports films. Scripted films, yes. <laughs> yeah, so this is one I wanted to have a chat with you about. I guess there's that many different sporting films out there and it kind of got me thinking that you and I have very different tastes when it comes to films. So, I, yeah, I just kind of wanted to pose the question about, you know, what are some of your favourite films relating to sport? Airbud 4. I mean, I'm an Airbud 3 guy myself, <laughs> but... <laughs> No, in all seriousness, the Airbud films are an absolute disgrace. Have you actually seen them? <laughs> I've, seen, <laughs> Why? I've seen half of one of them. It was, oh god! It was, yeah, no, it's it's the only movie I've walked out of in my own house. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, so sure, this is this is an interesting one for me. I haven't seen a sports movie in a long time. I don't watch them very often. So I the the most recent one I saw was Million Dollar Baby, which is absolutely excellent. Clint Eastwood. Most of his films are bloody excellent, it's got to be said. Mm-hmm. I did watch that one, High Flying Bird, that I referred to in a much earlier podcast, which is, it's interesting and clever, but it's certainly not going to appear on my top five favourite movie list of all time or anything like that. The memory that sticks out to me really strongly is going to the drive-ins in Bustleton, and it must have been like, I don't know, 1993 or something, and the double billing was the air up there and cool runnings. Oh, Which is a pretty good double billing, is, hey? Yeah. That is too very... The era up there, actually, funnily enough, very nearly made my shortlist. Okay, there you go. Yeah. yeah. You want me to play this basketball? And, and I think it was John Candy's second last movie before he passed away, Cool Runnings. Okay. I, I, in fact, I, don't, I think he was filming for another. I don't know if it was even released or what happened with that one. That's very sad uh, that he passed away. But, yeah, it's, it's really hard for me to kind of choose. Like, I've seen Moneyball. That's pretty good. I've seen The Wrestler. I quite enjoyed that. He Got Game is excellent. Brilliant. White Men Can't Jump. I enjoyed Blue Chips, but see, I, I enjoyed that as a teenager, so I don't know if it stands up now. See, a lot of these movies, I enjoyed Eddie as a teenager. I saw that in the cinemas in oh, year eight. Christ, Nathan. Well, no. it's a comedy. <laughs> it's yeah, bare, but... Barely. Yeah, well, have you seen it recently? The, the only good part about that is the guy saying, if I make baskets. <laughs> right. Okay. Who, was, who was one of these Eastern European guys. I feel like you've seen it more times than I me. I think I have. I reckon yeah. I saw it once at the cinema when it came out in 1996. And, yeah, basically, for those that don't know, Whoopi Goldberg coaches the New York Knicks and she's like a, just some average Josephine off the street. Or Still a better coach than Derek Fisher, though. <laughs> and probably Jeff Hornacek as well, actually. She led them to some wins uh, with Rick Fox and a couple of other players. But I'll be honest, I haven't seen a lot of the really iconic movies. I haven't seen Rudy. I haven't seen Slapshot. I haven't seen The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh, Hoosiers, Ali. I haven't seen Coach Carter. What? I yeah, I know. I know. You haven't seen Coach Carter? I know. I know. Damn, son, you got to put some time Well, it's really long. So, so it the doesn't times, matter. It's I know, really, no, no, but really the, good, too. I, I, I put it on too late in the night and I've got too sleepy and I've fallen asleep, so I've never finished it. Oh, it's so But I, I haven't even seen Field of Dreams, Major League. I haven't even seen Celtic Pride, I've got to be honest. Celtic Pride is 
one of the best shit films you'll yeah, ever see. Yeah, the, the Wayne's Brothers are super overrated in my oh, opinion. They, they like, are. The scary movies are shit else. Like, the good ones are the ones that the Wayne's Brothers didn't write. Yes. Yeah. Now, Celtic Pride, I've actually got the VHS of that. So if you oh, heard, nice. So there you go. If you, if you, yeah, I think <laughs> in I the bought, off-season. bought it from one of their blockbusters before they, before shut, they down shut down. Yeah. For about 20 cents. Yeah, probably. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, look, because I, I, we kind of only talked about this in the last day or so, I haven't really been able to come up with a short list or That's to okay. rank anything. But, yeah, I I maybe haven't seen enough. That's okay. I can help with that. Please do. So you actually did mention a few of the ones that are on my list, and I did want to kind of give a couple of honourable mentions. So uh, Hoosiers, really, really good film. Karate Kid, got to mention that. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, and the Rockies, of course. Like Rockies, Rockies. Rocky 3 is my favourite because it's got Mr T. There you go. Club Lang. Fool. Yeah. Uh, Bend It Like Beckham. Yeah. No, I didn't. Well, it's fine. As I said, we've got different tastes. We do, we do. Um, And basketball as well. Oh, of course. I did have that and I forgot to write it down. Yes. Yeah. I love the intro about that where they talk about the teams moving, like, and the Jazz moved to Utah where they don't allow music. (laughs) (laughs) That's classic. There is some classic stuff in there. So I guess, yeah, my top five. So Happy Gilmore at number five. Yep, decent. Usually I can't stand Adam Sandler. I think he's on that list with guys like Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn, guys who just seem to make mostly crap films. <laughs> but I find Happy You're More hilarious. Like some of those iconic lines, you know, you will miss this putt, you jackass. Um, <laughs> Are you too good for your home? Yeah. Answer me. Yeah. And then things like, you're going to die, clown. Like there's so many good lines in that. Shoot so, him again. So I did like that. Um, White Man Can't Jump, you mentioned that yes. as well. And But see, does it stand up? When was the last time you saw it? It's been a long time. About a year ago. Okay. (laughs) Does it stand up? It does. It does. I mean, look, it's cheesy as anything. Look, maybe it doesn't age spectacularly, but it probably does age better than a lot of films from that time. Do they have body doubles on the gameplay? Oh, God, I don't know. I wasn't wasn't on set. No, but you can tell. I reckon you can tell. if you. Next time I watch, I will be looking out for that. I never really looked. Because one of the things that really shits me about sports movies is when they have these actors that clearly have no athletic ability at all. So I remember when One Tree Hill came out, the TV show, someone's like, oh, Nate, you should check this out. It's based around basketball. You love basketball. And I watched the first episode and I'm like, the guy can't even fucking shoot a layup. Yeah. Like he's got no mechanics. And if it this, just bothered me. This is one of the things that I wrote, though, and I was like, usually in basketball films, they make the basketball incredibly unrealistic. Yep. So it's nice to see one where guys can actually play. Yes. I mean, where's Team the, Wolf. Yeah. Well, oh, God. <laughs> Airbud. Airbud yeah, 4 yeah. as well. Yeah. No, but this is the thing. Like, okay, Woody Harrelson's jump shot looks a little bit average, but. You know, it's, it's not the worst in the world, and Wesley can shoot pretty damn well. I remember Wesley throwing like these over the shoulder passes. Yeah. And that's why I wonder if it was a body double or. I reckon he would have skills. I, I hope so. I yeah, I hope so. So anyway, I, I quite enjoyed that. The only thing that probably detracts from it is the the chick. Oh, Rosie Perez. Yeah. Yeah. On uh, J- uh, Jeopardy. Jeopardy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Foods that start with Q. Quince. What is the Quince? Yeah. God. <laughs> so yeah, not the greatest voice, but uh, no, that was, a, that was a pretty cool film. A League of Their Own at number three. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Really, really good. Yeah, uh, this yeah no, is, I need to. It's a cracker. Uh, this is probably one of the first sports movies I can actually remember watching. It Basically, it's a fictional account of the American Girls Professional Baseball League. Tom Hanks is this asshole manager who has to sort of come down to this level and, you know, I'm saying down in inverted commas. Is it during war effort or something? Or? Uh, I believe it was, yeah. yeah. So he has to manage this team called the Rockford Peaches and, He's yeah, super angry. Makes one of the girls cry, and you know he doesn't like. There's no crying in baseball. All this stuff happened to me, and I didn't cry. Do you know why? Because there's no crying in baseball. Mm. 
And so, yeah, he slowly learns to love the girls. And, yeah, Gina Davis is in it, Rosie O'Donnell, Madonna, who yes, sings, yeah. used, this used to be my playground, which is this, the song that was kind uh, of like okay, the yeah. theme of that. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's a good film. And there's a lot of, I mean, I'm not going to go into the storyline too much, but that's one I quite enjoyed. Million Dollar Baby, you mentioned. Yep. Yeah, Clint Eastwood's superb. Hilary Swank, I thought, was great. In uh, all well. the performances, are, it's a very strong film. And any film that has the voice of Morgan Freeman, yes, it's yeah, bound yeah. to be good. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of got to love the story of an old sexist guy learning that women are actually capable of doing things. Yes. Yeah. I, Clint Eastwood is such a good filmmaker. Mm. So good. Gran yeah. Torino, for those oh. that haven't seen I know it's not sport related, but that is a spectacular, spectacular. movie. Yeah. And then the thing is, though, with this, you're expecting there's going to be this big happy ending and she's going to end up. Oh, spoilers. Well. If that movie takes some turns. Yeah. What I'm going yeah. to say is you expect it's going to end one way and it ends in a very, very different way. Yeah. So, yeah, I, this is one of those things that, you know, I hope people will actually watch it oh, if they haven't it's definitely worth watching. Like, it, it, is, it is tough at the end. Yeah. It is tough. But yeah, no, it's a very moving piece of cinema. It is. And the, the other one you mentioned, He Got Game, that's, that's I've got that as my number one. Denzel Washington, I mean, he's got a crazy good list. You know, things like Malcolm X and Training Day, Crimson Tide. But I feel like... Ray Allen playing Jesus yeah, Shuttleworth. I feel like this is a grossly underappreciated film. I mean, he's... So if people haven't heard of this film, it's a guy in jail. His son's the number one high school recruit in basketball in the entire United States. Spike Lee film. Spike Lee film, yes, exactly right. And the warden tries to get Denzel Washington's character to convince his son to play for the warden's old alma mater and he'll reduce the guy's sentence. It delves into a lot of the struggles of of African-American life in terms of the increased incarceration rates, uh, dealing with fame and money when people have come from having nothing. And, look, they got a real basketball player to actually play. And he does a very good job. He he does. But it's been such a long time, so I I don't know if it's standard. I I really need to go back and re-watch that one. No, that's fair enough. And, and look, for me, it's got one of the better soundtracks. It's done entirely by Public Enemy. It's probably not your cup of tea. No, No, I actually didn't mind that soundtrack. Yeah, Yeah, really? It's not my favourite music, but it's not... It's very, yeah, it's, it's very well written. Lyrically, it's brilliant. It fits the movie perfectly. The, the so, song He Got Game is fantastic. There's a lot yeah. of really good ones on yeah. that album. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of that album. So, yeah. Good list. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. I'm happy with it. So then I guess the really obvious transition from film to music. Well, and from film soundtrack to music, yeah. Yeah, there, there obviously are so many great songs and so many different types of songs, I guess, that are used in all the different sports that you and I watch. And some of them are theme songs to particular sports. Some of them are things that are just used during the games. Well, i got to say, Shui, the theme to NBA on NBC, John Tesh, and Monday Night Football are two of my most favourite pieces of music of all time. They are just brilliant. Well, the, yeah, the NBA on NBC is even better when Kawhi Leonard does it. <laughs> With his laugh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness, man. He's a, he's a freaking Whoever robot. made that video is, yeah. I bet, he, I bet he made it. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, what, like, what are some of the songs that relate to sport that you love? So the two that stick to mind are Hit the Road Jack whenever anyone gets fouled out. Okay. I do enjoy belting that out when yep. someone's fouled out, especially when it's a really good player. Even into your late 30s, it's still really fun, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's a great song, let's face it. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one is Rock and Roll Part 2. There's just something about that that just really inspires. So, yes, the less said about Gary Glitter's outside life, the better, but it is an amazing piece of music and it is indelibly tied to sport. Yeah, they're the ones that come to mind immediately for me. Okay. Well, I've got a few. So firstly, and you can kind of substitute this for several different songs, but 
jump around by House of Pain. So as I mentioned, you could substitute that with jump by Van Halen or jump by Crisscross. And, and indeed is, they do around stadiums all around the world. This this is very much a jump ball thing. It makes me miss the jump balls in the NBL. We don't really have them anymore outside of the start of the game. So yes. this is something that we obviously loved. Every time there's a jump ball, it just gives you an excuse to sing along to one of the best songs and it sort of pumps you up. Now, the Holy Grail by Hunters and Collectors. I hold my tongue. Why? I find it incredibly overrated. Really? I do. Well, they ripped off the riff from Boston's More Than a Feeling. So for starters, it's not even that original. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Hunters and Collectors have some great songs. When the River Runs Dry is an amazing piece of music. But yeah, I've just never been a big fan of Holy Grail, to be honest. Yeah. True. I know I'm in the minority on that. That's fine. Just like I'm in the minority about Horses, Daryl Braithwaite. I seem to be the only one in my generation that fucking hates that song. Yeah, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> I knew that was going to touch a nerve. One Summer, on the other hand, is fantastic. But yeah. Look, the reason I like this song is it reminds me of AFL Grand Final Day. Yes. And they are some of the best days of my life. Yes, the connotations, yes. Being able to spend the time together with mates, have a few beers, scream for a team that we don't often support, basically anyone who's playing Richmond. (laughs) But, yeah, I I just found it to be quite a a fun song to sing along to after a couple of drinks. I agree with you, the the stirring connotation associated with it. But as a song, yeah, it rips off Boston's more than a feeling. Check it out. No. Okay, all times. <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I will. The third one I've got is Remember the Name by Fort Minor. Now, for people that maybe aren't sure what this is, it's the one that's like 10% lock, 20% speed, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 15% yeah, yeah. concentrated power of will. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it's, Don't go any further lest we breach copyright. This is true. No. Um, actually, a side project of Lincoln Park's Mike Shinoda, which I didn't realise until no, I, was, I had no idea until you told yeah, me tonight. Until yeah. I was researching it. Really great baseline to start it off. The lyrics are solid. Talks about what it takes to become a professional in sport and thus have people remember your name. So it's, uh, yeah, it's one that I, I find. That's pretty, a great, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a really good one. Gets me going. The top two, I'm already getting goosebumps just thinking about them. So Emerson, Lake and Palmer, fanfare for the common man. Ah, oh, iconic. Obviously, we know that from the AFL broadcast from the 1980s and 90s. Yes, the, the seven sport tune. Exactly. The trumpet at the start of that song just makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. It is. It, it takes me back specifically to the 92 grand final, which as an Eagles fan oh, okay. was a very, very good day. That's yes. what I sort of remember it from. But, yeah, that piece of music is spectacular. And probably the biggest one for me, actually, is, is Autumn Thunder, A New Game which is very much synonymous with the NFL. Like, for me, this is the freaking ultimate sports song. Yeah, NFL films use it all the time in their docos and stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's great. Like, if the bells at the start of that song don't get you at least a little bit hard, there's something wrong with it. <laughs> Give you a bell. And, yeah. Just... <laughs> bell end. Oh, shit. Like, Look what we've become. But the build-up, the explosive symbols in it, it's an orchestral masterpiece for me. And then just when you think it's done, it goes again as if to say you imagine the intensity even more. It's just, it's nuts. It's magical. Yeah. So, no, no arguments there. An honourable mention to the Wide World of Sports song too. Yeah. I call it the Mexophone. People need to go and watch Wide World of Sports now. Yes, listen to, yeah. Yes, watch the CD spinning around. So, Shui, on our little run sheet we planned on talking about sporting events that we wish we had attended in person but I think that's going to go too long we might have to save that for another time we've got a couple of other little bits and pieces we could discuss though yeah well in the the mood of favorite things favorite sporting action 
And this is a specific action within a sporting match that you just, for whatever reason, you just absolutely love more than anything else. A Tory. You love a Tory, okay. I do love a good Tory. And the commentators always, oh, he's gone for the, he's gone for a roost. So this is going back to the Zach Tui one from earlier in the season. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good example. Yeah, the torpedo. Yeah, it's okay. even better when it's a goal. But a good Tory out of the goal square is good too, you know. Dustin Fletcher bombing one oh, from yeah. the back of the goal square. Yeah, yep. into the centre of the field. I mean, the Malcolm Blight one probably. Well, the Malcolm Blight is the obvious one. one. I obviously, yeah, I've only seen that after the fact. I didn't mm. see that live. But yes, oh, that is another were, famous one. How many years before we were yes, born? Yes, yes. And see, so I posed this question to you. I actually found this one harder to answer than all the other ones. It was, it was a little bit tricky. There was only two that came to mind. I'll tell you my other one in a sec. Well, I mean, I had several. I mean, a 350-yard drive down the middle of the fairway to yeah, me yeah. Is, is great. A massive dunk or a block in basketball. Oh, yeah, those are, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, for, yeah. for us. Uh, you know, a hanger for me in the AFL, a, a really good hanger. Oh, there were some big ones on the weekend. Too. Yeah, I mean, a, a real good clean hanger where, yeah. where you get the ride, you stay on the shoulders. There's none of this sort of slipping off the side. That to me is great. Cody Waitman had a massive one for the doggies in that big clash against the D's on the weekend. And Isaac Heaney had Heaney, a very yeah. nice one against Frio too. Heaney was probably guilty of jumping too high though. He missed the sit completely because he oh, jumped, he jumped is, over the top. He did a Brett Burton and jumped over the top of the ball. Heaney is so good. I actually happened to be at that game at the MCG when he took Mark of the Year a few years ago over Jesse Hogan when he played for Melbourne. That was huge. Mm, that was that, ridiculous. That was also the game where Alex Johnson did his knee for like the third time. Oh, he was barely back on the field. It was so sad. Um, that actually made me angry oh. that the world would do that. Oh, to, I know. To him. That was tough. That was tough. A few guys like him, yeah. unfortunately. But, yeah. Anyway. But, but no, the one that gets me, I think, is a volleyball play. And, and it's an outside spiker getting a set right on the net with no blocker. And just punching a spike straight down in front of the attack. Oh, line. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, like sometimes it feels like it should leave a crater in the ground like, in that hard. <laughs> like I was having a look at some of these before, and there's this German guy named Georgie Grozier, and it, like, he hits them at like 130 Ks an hour. Wow. Which is just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And he's just pumping them straight down. Oh, I mean, competitive volleyball is very, very entertaining to watch. It really is. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And the other one for me is just a good pass in basketball. Yeah, okay. Like, I, so many times when I was watching the NBA playoffs this season, and often it was Luka Doncic or, or Nikola Jokic throwing amazing passes, and I'd just be making these, like, borderline orgasmic sounds because I just enjoy a great pass so much. Borderline? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it really is the end of the episode, isn't it? We're Crispy getting, socks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sure, you know what that music means. We've come to the end once again. We think we'll be back to normal next week. It's always hard to know. Who bloody knows? Who bloody knows? We could Who be taken knows? over by aliens. And it's that. possible. It really is. But no, always good fun to have a chat about some of these great historical moments and things that we've done in the past. And I'm really looking forward actually to getting together and talking about some of these things that we wish we'd been a part of. There's some amazing events I've already got on my list. Yes, we did uh, have one key thing we didn't get to today, which is maybe the jewel in the crown. Looking forward to talking about the Olympics next week. Until then, I'm Nathan. And I'm Stuart. We are the Sport Blokes.